So today I'm going to talk about a subject that's very, very dear to my heart indeed. I'm going to talk about worship. And the reason it's, this subject is so dear to my heart isn't not because you sometimes see me singing on the stage there, and it's not because I teach or play the cello for a living, um, but it's because of the um, fundament, fundamental impact that worship has had on my life, in my, on my personal life. It's been um, one of the most important things to me, and it's, it's just transformed me and helped me through. Um, so I, I'm aware that there's quite a few new people here since I last spoke, which is quite a while ago. So um, I'm just going to um, introduce myself a little bit. Just, um, I came to this church about just over 10 years ago, in beginning of 2009, and when I arrived, um, I, was, I had just been through um, a very, very dark and traumatic season of my life, and, and just coming to this church marked the sort of stepping over into the new season, so it was a, it was a lovely time, and, uh, and this church is very, very special to me, and, uh, and just to be welcomed in uh, amongst this church family was just overwhelming to me after what I'd been through, and um, I remember after, after I'd been in that dark time, and God had promised me that he would surround me with the righteous and, and he really did, and, and that's what I feel that he did um, when I came to this church. So when we joined, I've got two children, Eleanor and Jonathan. And um, when we joined, Eleanor was probably about 13 and Jonathan 9, I think. Um, and um, the reason we'd been through such a traumatic time was, was because my marriage had broken down and my husband had left us. And... Um, and it wasn't just the rejection and the loss, the loss of him as a husband and the loss of the father to my children, but also I experienced devastating, crippling shame um, at being divorced. And I've been brought up in a Christian home. My two lovely Christian parents are sitting here um, on the second row. And um, I never, ever in a million years expected that that would happen to me. I just thought, it was just like not on my grid. And, and it just came as such a terrible um, shock. And, and I, I just felt almost too ashamed to go, you know, out into society. To Things like parents' evenings and, and dinner parties were just crippling for me. So um, it was that shame. And so I was in an utterly desperate place. Really, really desperate. And I knew that nobody was going to be able to help me out of this one. My parents weren't going to be able to help me. None of my friends, nobody was going to be able to help me. And so, thank God, um, I did know and believe and trust in God at that time. And so I began to turn to him and to cry out to him with all of my might and all of my being. I literally put all my eggs in one basket. I thought, God's the only one that can come through for me. I'm going to put all, everything into that. No other cards to play. That was my only card. And, um, and that looked like, I did that, that, that looked like two things for me. The first thing was um, um, the Bible became my lifeline. And I would carry my Bible with me absolutely everywhere. It was always in my bag. And um, just the truth that I would read in the Bible became incredibly important to me. I would stop 
you know, frequently where I was because the darkness was coming into my head and I began, began to despair. And I would get the Bible out and I'd be reading in the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms are just so amazing because every feeling known to man is there written in the Psalms. And um, just the words of life would just come back in, into, into me and it would just begin to change the atmosphere inside my head. But the other thing that I did, and that's what I'm really going to talk about today, was um, I worshipped. And I'm not talking really about worship on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about worshipping as part of my own time with God, um, really in the secret place in my own home. And um, I remember that... um, Sometimes I'd be in a room in my house and doing all the stuff that you do with children, you know, cooking the meal and everything with this terrible blackness over me that I felt I just couldn't carry on. And so I would take myself off into another room and literally just violently almost, sounds a bit strange, but to combat, you know, it's sort of in opposition to what was happening in my head. I would violently almost worship God and just proclaim the truth about him. Because my circumstances, although they, that's what was happening in my life, that's not the truth about God. You see, God's good. My circumstances weren't good, but God is still good. So I'm, and I did that. And then when I did that, it was amazing. Um, the hope would literally start to come in. The darkness would lift, and the hope would start to come in. And I would just think, oh, yes. My mind would change. Oh, yes. I'd start to see things from God's perspective instead of from mine. And all the lies that the enemy was saying, see, that's what's happening to you. See, that's the truth, not that. All those lies would begin to to lessen in their strength in my head, and and the truth would start to come in. Now, I'd go back and take myself back and cooking and doing whatever was homework and goodness knows what. (laughs) Got my daughter on the front row here. Um, And... um, you know, that would come back over me again, and I would have to redo it. You know, it, it wasn't a, a once fix it. I'd have to keep on, keep on doing that. But, you know, I honestly as feel that the three of us came through that so amazingly, really. Um, and I really believe that that is one of the reasons why, one of the main reasons why. And and I'm going to hopefully tell you a little bit about why that is today. So we worship God because, obviously, because he's the creator and we are the created. We're just created beings and we're utterly, whether we feel it or not, we are utterly dependent on him. And in John 4, it says God actually looks for worshippers. He's actually looking for worshippers. Now, why does it say God's looking for worshippers? I mean, you you can be tempted to think it's because he thinks, oh, you know, he's quite egotistical and he wants everyone to be worshipping him. But actually, I think the reason why God looks for worshippers is because he has designed us and made us to worship him. And because everything that God does for us is out of love. He knows that to be worshipping him is the best possible thing for us to be doing. So it's, it's because we're designed to worship. Now, we, we obviously, because we're designed to worship, we will all worship something. The question is, what are we going to worship? Now, we all have battles with this, I just as much as anybody else. I mean, some of us worship money, 
Uh, some of us worship our jobs, uh, our material possessions. Some of us worship our loved ones. Um, and some of us um, just worship ourselves. I think I can be in that category. You know, we just, what's going to make me feel good right now? Oh, I think, I think uh, you know, a nice takeaway and watch a film, actually. You know, or, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, don't get me wrong, but it's just, it's all about what makes me feel good, what's going to build me up, um, what's going to help me. So it's what, it's, it's, it's what we worship. But Deuteronomy 10, verse 21 says, He alone is your God. He's the only one worthy of your praise. Now, of course, everything we do for God you know, for example, um, everything we do out of love for God. So maybe we pay money we owe, which perhaps they've forgotten about, or we, um, we help somebody, or we just don't gossip, we don't criticize, we're not negative, we try to speak life. All those things that we're doing every single day because we love God and we're wanting to work out our salvation, those are all... Worship, of course. But today, I'm really speaking about singing, dancing, praising, um, physical acts of worship, like such as we, we've just been doing on a Sunday morning. So that's, that's really the, the main thrust of what I want to talk about today. And I just want to really um, talk about why I feel it's, it's really important. So the Bible talks a lot about singing praise to God. In Psalm 149, it says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Brilliant. And his praise in the assembly of saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. And then in Hebrews 13, it says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That's quite interesting, the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So, why singing in worship then? Well, I think one of the reasons is because the words we actually speak out of our mouths are incredibly powerful. In Proverbs 18, it says, death and life are in the power of our tongues is quite amazing. And in Hebrews it says, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And for those of you that, that might have read James, the book of James in the Bible, um, do you remember he talks so much about the tongue, doesn't he? And he compares it to um, the rudder on a large ship. So the rudder is a tiny little part of the ship, isn't it? But it steers the whole ship. 
in a certain direction. And he says our tongue is the same. It's only a tiny part of our body, but my goodness, it's got the power to steer our whole being in one direction or another. That's how important our, our words are. And of course, you know that there's so much in the Psalms and in the Proverbs about guarding our mouths because of the power of our words to do so much harm. And as it says, to speak death into situations. And it's, it's very important to God that we guard our mouths. So when we're singing, I think we're speaking, actually articulating the truth about God. That's very, very powerful and very important. Um, so that's one of the reasons. The next thing, that word sacrifice, I just wanted to talk about that a bit. Remember in Hebrews it says, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And, and in Jeremiah it says, bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of God. So why is worship a sacrifice? Well, I think probably um, just in my little bit of testimony that um, I was telling you about at the beginning, um, it is a cost, isn't it? So if we're experiencing confusion, loss and disappointment, we're having to rise above our circumstances and declare that God is good anyway, that isn't easy. That is, there is a cost to that. We, 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 our, our natural inclination is to be very down and very negative and, and feel very sorry and sad, isn't it? Um, you know, if you're unwell, how do you feel when you're saying, God's a healer, God's the healer? And, you know, if we're struggling financially, how hard is it to say, well, God, the truth of the matter is that God is a provider, it doesn't feel like he's providing right now for me, but he is. That's the truth. Our circumstances aren't the truth. It's what, we read, what, what the Bible says about God is the truth. So this can be tough, very painful and difficult. Now, also, I, I think it is a sacrificial act because physically we don't feel like it. Oh, you know, we're tired you know, we don't particularly like the music sometimes. The band aren't that great. Oh, my goodness, it's Adge and Catherine again on the band. Oh. <laughs> you know, um, and, and well, perhaps that music isn't quite our cup of tea anyway. It's not our first choice of style of music. Um, so we're stepping, what is actually, we're taking, we're taking a step beyond convenience, aren't we? We're taking a step beyond what is natural or normal for us. God says in the Bible, shout for joy. But we don't feel joyful. So in that way, it's a sacrifice too, isn't it? So we're, we're having to stand up when we feel tired. We're having to, you know, sort of feel, we feel like we're having to drum up joy and happiness when we don't feel it. So that is a sacrifice. It's costing me. Now, when you worship like that, I've heard loads of people say to me over the years, you know, they feel hypocritical um, standing there worshipping when they don't feel like it. You know, they're saying one thing, and actually that's not what's going on in their heart right now. They feel as if they're being false, that they're not being true, they're not being authentic. 
But actually, that's not what it is. What it is, it's an act of faith. Because you're saying, no, I don't feel like that right now. But that is the truth. So it's an act of faith. Remember, the truth isn't how we feel. But the truth is the nature and the promises of God. So... Worship brings us into God's presence. That's why we, we are, we're beginning to change, because through worship, we're coming into God's presence. And I'm going to talk a little bit more um, in a minute about the actual sort of process, I feel, that we go through in worship, the process of coming into his presence. But the bottom line is, worship is a gateway into the presence of God. And that's why things change. They really do change. It's not an illusion. God is alive. He's real. He's true. And when we get into his presence, we are changed. It's the only place where we can truly change. Now, there's obviously, we, do, we worship God, don't we, for who he is. But there is good news, because while we're worshipping... God goes out and fights our enemies on our behalf. I mean, that's all through the Bible um, that, that that's what happens. So all we have to do is worship him. And then meanwhile, he's fighting our enemies on our behalf. And our enemies are being defeated. We're getting the victory through, through the worship. So worship is where the battle is won. And I just wanted to, um, I mean, there are lots of stories, aren't there, in the Bible um, where this happens. Obviously, the most, the most, probably the one that everyone thinks of is Jericho. Do you remember when they walked around Jericho um, and they were the, the worshipping, weren't they? Worshipping at the front. Wasn't it interesting how they weren't allowed to say anything? Sorry, I just, I just wanted to say this. Um, they weren't allowed to speak, were they? I wonder why, when we think about the power, they're probably thinking, why the heck are we walking around here? You know, worshipping. We've got, you know, it's, it's obvious how what a, what an opportunity there would have been for grumbling and moaning as they were walking around. So I think that's probably the reason why they weren't allowed to speak. Stop those negative words coming out of their mouths. Yeah. Um, so the story I just wanted to um, talk about just briefly in Two Chronicles chapter twenty. Now I know you all know this story. It's such a brilliant one. This is probably my favourite. Um, so. At the time, Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. And one day, um, a messenger came to him and said, um, there, are, there is a massive army advancing on you. Massive, vast army. Thousands upon thousands. Way more, way bigger than our army. They were totally outnumbered. And it says in verse 3, Jehoshaphat was terribly afraid. Don't blame him. I would have been. So, but when it, he was terribly afraid, but in that place, he made a very, very good choice. If you don't take anything away from today, take this away. He made a great choice. He was terribly afraid, but he chose to set himself to seek the Lord. Anyway, despite the fact that this vast army was coming, he decided to seek the Lord. And so he got the whole community gathered together, women, children, the whole lot of them gathered together to seek the Lord. And they were, they were fasting, they were crying out to him with all of their might. 
And then um, God said to them, you don't have to worry. You're not even going to have to fight this battle. Just position yourselves and stand and see what I'm going to do. Oh, oh. I mean, gosh, that's just music to anyone's ears, isn't it, who's in a battle? Don't you just want to hear that? So, wow. But they, I'm sure they were still very frightened. I mean, you know, still scary, isn't it? Here come the army are coming. They can see them coming. You, know, you can imagine like Lord of the Rings. And they're all marching towards them. <laughs> um, and it says... However, so so the next day they were to go out, and it says in verse 21, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and, Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. And all they did was worship, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. The worshippers went first, and when they went out and gave praise, God attacked and defeated their enemy. So we are designed to draw near him, and and, and he fights the battle on our behalf. It's like one time someone told me the story of... um, an elephant and a mouse. And the mouse, obviously much smaller than the elephant, was just hiding behind the elephant's ear. And the elephant was going over this bridge, and, and the bridge was rumbling and swaying because the elephant was going over the bridge. And when they got over the other side, the mouse said, Cool, we sure shook that bridge, didn't we? <laughs> and I think that's quite a good picture, isn't it, of what it's like with us and God. Yeah, so we, we, can actually, we, we can actually say, cool, we sure shook that bridge, didn't we? And all we did was worship. Brilliant. Now, of course, the nature of the battle has changed somewhat, hasn't it? Not many of us are called upon these days to fight actual battles with swords and guns and whatever. Um, and it says in Ephesians 6... We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. We're fighting against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So how many of you kind of know the main battle we're fighting today is the battle over our minds, isn't it? It's replacing all those lies that are coming at us all day with the truth about God. And it's beginning to try and see our lives from God's perspective instead of from our perspective. And God, as it says in the Bible, actually does things completely differently to us. So his perspective is going to look really different to ours. Um, In 2 Corinthians 10, it says, we use mighty weapons 
not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So, you know, I know that some people find the, um, the Old Testament a bit tricky because there's so much actual fighting and blood and guts and killing and all that kind of thing. But actually, um, the, New, the Old Testament has been really vital to me in my walk with God. Um, all those passages that deal with warfare in the Old Testament, I believe that they give us tools um, that we can use to deal with the spiritual battle that we fight. So we can read about their battles and we can see how God came through for them and how they partnered with him. And we can use those tools, all those terrible things that happened in the natural, give us the tools to deal with the spiritual battles that we face. Because you can't deny it, we have been born into a war. We're in a war, whether you like it or not. And there's one victor, and we need to partner with him to, um, to get the, the victory. And, and every time we lift up the name of God in worship, the name of the Lord, we go to war against the enemy. But there's good news because, you know, he's got the victory. No one, none can stand. Nothing's impossible for him. So I just wanted to look quickly at another story in the Bible where there was a significant act of worship. And this story is about David, King David. So it's in 2 Samuel 6. And it's that moment when David is bringing the ark back into Jerusalem. And he has been longing for this moment. You know, the ark's been first in the hands of the enemy, and then it had to lodge elsewhere for a while. And finally, he is bringing it back into Jerusalem. And he is, he's, it says in verse 14, David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy. So David worships with all his might, and everybody there is watching him except for one person. One person's not there watching him, and that's his wife, Michael. And she sees what David's doing from a window, an upper window, and she's dreadfully embarrassed. She's totally ashamed. She thinks this is awfully undignified behavior for a king. I think he takes off his outer priestly garments, and there he is, wildly worshiping God, and she thinks it is not fitting behavior for the king, and she is full of shame. She thinks what he's doing is undignified. But what does the Bible say about her? The Bible says that Michael is barren after that moment until she dies. She doesn't have any more children. And, and often I think that we can, when it talks about children, and barrenness in the Bible. Children represent fruit, and barrenness represents lack. So, she was no longer fruitful, no longer produced any fruit in her life. Her life was full of lack after that. She was barren. Um, obviously, 
It is. For her, it was literal. She didn't have any more children. Um, now, one of the most important passages in my life has been Isaiah 54. Um, I should say this, this is probably the most important scripture in my life. And actually, it's the antidote to what happened to Michael. So Isaiah 54 says, Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. So Michael despised David's worship, but this passage tells us that if we worship before we see answers to our prayers, we will bear more fruit than if we worship after we've received answers to our prayers. So we need to give an offering of thanks and praise before we see anything change. We give an offering when it doesn't make sense to do so, when we feel lack for some reason. And that lack might just be, you don't feel like doing it. I mean, it could be anything. Um, so God does, does it the opposite way round to the way we would do it. It's, all, it's pretty easy, isn't it, to give thanks? I don't know, um, I think... I know from my friends Malcolm and Kim that there was an important football match on yesterday, I think. <laughs> oh, I, I, it's not good news. Okay, don't, don't mention it. Okay, I'm on really dodgy territory here. Yeah, oh dear. Okay, well, anyway, it's very, very easy, isn't it, to give thanks when our team has won or when we've won something, or perhaps we've won some money, or we got a tax rebate, or just something really great happened. Or perhaps um, you see them, don't you, uh, in, the, in, in Wimbledon. I, I love tennis, I'm not so keen on football, but tennis. Um, when they win, you know, they're, they're exuberant, aren't they, because they've won. And it's dead easy, isn't it, to give thanks? Wouldn't it be interesting if we saw one of them giving thanks when they didn't win? When things didn't go the way they wanted. And I think... That's the key, really, to try worshipping for him when things don't go as you wanted them to do. That will change everything. Because remember, God is faithful. It's impossible for him to lie. So our circumstances don't change that truth about God. So I just wanted to quickly talk about the process of worship. The Bible talks, I think, about three stages or three elements of worship. It talks about giving thanks, doesn't it? And then it talks about praise, and then it talks about worship. And I think this is quite interesting. So it says in Psalm 100, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. So, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Now, I think thanks is the, is the place to start. So, you know, we've got, we can easily say thank you for things. And we just have to look around us. And that there are things to say thank you for. You know, we thank, thank him for the fact that we live in this country, in this yeah. wonderful country. We thank him for our homes. We thank him for our loved ones. We thank him for our cars or, or just whatever it is that, that you want to thank him for. There's always something. Thank him that he spoke to me last Sunday in the service. I heard his voice. Thank, thank him that I found that much easier this week than I did last week. So just saying thank you to him, it says thanks gets us through the gate. So thanks is the first stage. Now, 
So let's just say we're saying thank you that he's healed me. Thank you, Lord. I had that terrible headache. You prayed, I prayed, and you healed me. So now we're thinking, okay, so God healed me, so he must be a healer. And we begin to praise him now for his nature. So we're saying, we're, we're saying, thank you, Lord. You're the healer. You're the provider. You are good. We're, we're praising him now because we're saying, we're talking about who he is, his nature. We've gone from thanks to praise. So now we've moved through the gates and into the courts of God, into his courts with praise. And then in Psalm 99, it says, we shall exalt and worship at his footstool. So then we begin to consider the nature of God and we're thinking, he's a healer, he's a provider, he's good, he never lies, he's faithful, he never lets me down, his love endures forever, he's created the whole earth and we think about his nature and then we begin to move into worshipping this amazing God that he's so incredible, this God, and yet... He knows us all individually. And so that brings us into worship. Exalt and worship at his footstool. Now we've moved to the very footstool of God through worship. So we, we, we start by, by giving thanks, but we're not satisfied with what he does. But we begin to realize his nature. And then when we're overcome by the wonder that this God loves us, we then move into worship. And we begin to decree and declare and make confessions of his goodness in worship. And we're overcome. We, be, we become overcome by the wonder of him who actually wants to know us. So we're designed to worship. And through thanks, praise and worship, we enter his presence. And in his presence, we're changed to be more like him. And there is nothing better for us than that. That is, that's the destination, that's, that's the goal, to be more like him. We do it because he's God, and we are his created beings, and we're utterly dependent on him. When we worship in spite of our feelings and circumstances, it is very powerful. It demonstrates our faith. We worship because he's worthy, but remember the good news is that our enemies are defeated as we worship. Do you remember, there's just one more story, a fantastic story, Acts 16. Paul and Silas are in prison. And I haven't got time to go into why, but there they are. Um, they're in prison because of their faith. They've been beaten with rods, it says, and they were in chains in a dark dungeon. And then, so not many people's circumstances get too much worse than that, do they? It says on verse, in verse 25, Paul and Silas were singing hymns to God in that dark prison. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Amen. Through worship, our chains fall off. Every chain is broken. The prison doors of your dark place are burst open and the light comes in and, and you're free. He who's, who, who Jesus sets free is free indeed, free. So I, just, I, I was just thinking, so thinking about all that, where, where do you think we might go from here? Well, 
For some of us, it might be a new idea for you to worship in the secret place and not just on Sundays. Um, I don't know how many people, I'm sure lots of you do, but some of you may not have thought of making worship a part of your time with God at home. And I find that, that when, I, when I worship at home, it's just, it does literally change the atmosphere as I get into his presence and, and, and heaviness lifts. And then from that place connected to him through worship in his presence, um, stuff will just come out of my spirit that I put in there. And I thought, my goodness, I didn't even really know that was there because I'm connected to him now. And it's so much easier to pray when you're in that presence of God. You know, it's just stuff flows out. You know how sometimes prayer can be quite difficult and you can't think of anything to say, but prayer just flows out. And can I encourage you that, um, you know, it's quite tough to just turn up on Sundays and expect to be entering into worship and, and all the other things that we do on Sundays without having done that in the secret place. I really feel that what we bring on a Sunday comes out of that place that where we've been in the secret place with God. So for others, it, it might be just moving a little bit, a little step further beyond what is actually convenient for you physically. You know, perhaps standing, raising hands. I don't know. You know, I'm not prescribing, but I'm just, I'm just giving ideas. So just, so it's it's that element I was talking about that where it's a sacrificial offering that. You know, I don't feel like this, and I'm tired, but I'm going to do it anyway because he's worthy. So, raising hands, maybe even dancing. Yes. Kim. Hey, come on. She's my girl. <laughs> maybe even dancing when we don't feel like it. And, and maybe for some of us, it's declaring the truth about God when everything in your circumstances is screaming at you that he must be the opposite of what we're we're talking about.